Peace Building Podcast. My name is Susan Coleman. I'm a global coach, mediator, and the host of this podcast. Join me as I interview today's most creative, courageous, and sometimes outrageous mediators, coaches, entrepreneurs, and out-of-the-box thinkers whose work, whether intended or not, is building peace. Tune in for pure inspiration as we explore the best stories, the best practices, the best ideas of a new world emerging. So it's always interesting to me how we become connected to the people that we connect to in the world. Uh, A long time ago, uh, when I was in my 20s, I chose to go live in Colombia uh, for a while. And um, it was an amazing experience. And what's always interesting to me is how much it changed my life forever and changed the people that I came to know um, and what I tended, what I chose to do. And one of the most important colleagues that I've had throughout my career is Pablo Restrepo. And he lives in Bogota. And we have worked together for years. And I think he was the first, maybe the first interview I did on the Peace Building Podcast. I don't, he's either number one or number two. I don't remember, but he's right up there in the beginning. Anyway, a, a little while ago, pa- Pablo called me and he said, you know, um, you really ought to be um, interviewing my sister. And I, uh, Elvira Maria Restrepo. And I, um, because she is part, uh, she's a special advisor to the president of Colombia Santos uh, on the peace process. And um, I knew Elvira sort of, I had met her very briefly. I think we went shopping for hats or something when I was in Colombia for a brief bit, but I didn't really know her. And, um, but then when I looked at her CV and I thought, oh my gosh, yes. I mean, she's just uh, amazing all the things that, that she has done. And um, so uh, we had a pre-interview and talked about what she might talk about. And now I have you, uh, her with me here today. Um, so I just wanna say she is, uh, she is somebody with really stellar credentials in the, academ- in the academic world. She went to Oxford, she went to Harvard Law School, she went to Universidad de los Andes in Bogota. She, um, she's on the, I guess, the tenure track faculty. I don't know the exact words that you're supposed to say in academia, but anyway, I think she's on the tenure track uh, at the University of Miami. But I think she's on leave at the moment because she's working specifically uh, for President Santos and the peace process. Um, so I don't know, Elvira, if I've said that right or wrong, but uh, I'll get your voice in here and thank you for joining us on the Peace Building Podcast. Thank you so much, Susan, for inviting me. I'm thrilled to be here and I'm really looking forward to this podcast. Yeah, so um, so tell me a little bit. I always like to ask people, um, did, I say, did I say enough about your background? Are there other things that you might want to add in terms of your background uh, that you think is relevant? I, I want to add that I'm, I'm a lawyer that never practiced, <laughs> so I'm a frustrated lawyer. So mo- and I've Many people say for- recovering lawyer, you say frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think recovering is a better one. Okay. And I've always worked, I've always been interested in justice, particularly in crime reduction and, uh, and also in, in, war, in peace, obviously, and conflict, because my country has been in a conflict since I was born. I've never seen a day without conflict in Colombia. So that has deeply uh, marked my life as well as the injustices and the inequalities that have led to this conflict. So I'm always being very aware and that those have been constant worries 
that became topics of research and topics of my classes. And basically, that's that's what I have dedicated most of my life um, to do. You know, that always another question that I really like asking people is uh, is about what planted the seeds in them uh, to. I don't know if you call yourself a peace builder or working on a peace process, uh, uh, but I I like asking people what what when you think about your childhood, your early years, what what planted the seeds in you to lead you to where you are today. Uh, yes, that that I mean that's a very good question. I, I think it did. Uh, I went to a school that was a fantastic school because even though it was a private school, it was a French school that was subsidized by the government. So it brought a lot of people that had very little money. So um, I went to a school that was like a public school in Bogota, which was a fantastic experience. I met people from all from all parts of Colombia. And also, I grew partially up, and um, my father had a house in hot weather, as we call it here in Colombia, uh, in El Tolima, which was uh, one of the places that was hit the hardest by La Violencia period, which preceded this Violencia 50 years ago, and uh, was political violence. And uh, and when I was very young, I, I mean, I used to wander around the, near this Zanza and hearing stories. I used to go to the houses of people, and very, very humble people that live around and they told me the stories of La Violencia, and that marked my life deeply. Um, and then um, it just basically uh, made me aware, basically, that I was very privileged. I was educated, I, I was privileged in many ways, and that Colombia was not like that. So I saw that from very early age, and my parents were very uh, good at that, at showing us that uh, we lived in a beautiful country, but one that was very unequal, and one that had been plagued by violence uh, since the basically the, the earliest 20th century and even since the independence, but we're not gonna go as far as that. But I, I, I saw the people, I heard their stories and that marked me forever. I mean, I realized that I was very privileged and that I was born in a very unequal and unfair country and that violence somehow, I never justify violence, but that violence was the cause of this injustice. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, I remember writing a, a paper in college on La Violencia in Colombia. And I, Absolutely. and to this day, I, I think I, I still don't, I'm not sure I rem, really remember or understand it. And it's not really our point here to get into it, except to say that what you're saying, that there's been a long, long history of violence in Colombia. And I don't know, you know, if you could give a short version of why you think that's true but maybe you're saying it's because of inequality or, or what, what would you i i would say that is you know countries that are as huntington you know social i mean you know the countries that that are becoming developed nations developing countries uh, growing out of you know uh, different uh, uh, i mean i i wouldn't like to to go into because i'm not a historian but i would say that uh, that that all countries that are developing that don't create inclusive politics and inclusive systems for people both socioeconomic uh, would actually be confronted either by totalitarian regimes or by violence and eruptions of violence. And in Colombia, there has been a semblance of democracy or democracy, formal democracy, uh, since its independence. And uh, But this democracy has been very exclusive. And uh, I think this is part of the reason why uh, there was La Violencia, which was political uh, up to the 60s, and that joined with the movements and the emerging of uh, the guerrillas that we are negotiating with today in the 60s, uh, partially following, obviously, the, the movement uh, via Russia and Cuba, obviously, uh, that influenced politically deeply the, 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 the peasant uh, uh, 
of uh, fights and upheavals from the FARC, uh, who are the guerrillas that are negotiating today with the government. But we also had influence from Mao, from Chinese communists. There was a moment when we had more than 10 guerrilla different groups. And I believe most of them were fighting for inclusion, for political and socioeconomic inclusion in a regime that was democratic uh, as a facade, but that was not an inclusive democracy. It was a very imperfect democracy and where land was divided unfairly and all the issues that led. So I think that the violence, the political violence of the last 50 years originated fairly and for fair reasons and degenerated very rapidly in the 80s with drug trafficking and uh, became a dirty war uh, that, you know, degenerates with many other um, facts that are hard to mention in a short interview. But I think that the, 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 the guerrillas were originally justified and their causes were fighting for this exclusion, finding spaces for being including, included. And it's so, you know, as you're talking, of course, uh, uh, for me, it just, it stirs so much because Colombia is one of the most beautiful countries I've, I've been to, a, I've been blessed to go to a lot of different countries and it really is one of the most beautiful countries in my, in my memory in the sense that it's this study of so many contrasts of so many you know high land low land hot land cold land you know incredible riches incredible poverty beautiful people with very clear spanish when they speak spanish <laughs> the most perfect um but anyway a country that i really feel a lot of love for really i think um so i wanted to um ask you because we time flies so fast on these podcasts if you could tell us a little bit just about uh what you're doing right now with the president um and and your your special i, I don't know what your title is exactly special advisor to the president yes that's 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 a translation but i mean yes i am advising the president in in something that translates really badly in english but it's like pedagogy of peace for the post-conflict i didn't really interf intervene in the and the negotiating uh, or in the peace accord that has been re-signed, because this is very confusing. We've had an accord that was signed originally and then was uh, voted no on a plebiscite, on a, on a referendum, I'm going to say the word more correctly in English, uh, on the 2nd of October. And the people of Colombia voted no for a very narrow margin to, to implement this agreement um, because a no win, even though it was a kind of statistical draw, uh, the, the president decided to uh, kind of go with a second round of negotiations that uh, involved most of the representative people of the no position, those that were against the original peace accord that was reached between the government of Colombia and the FARC guerrillas. And this accord was finally signed uh, the th 12th of November, very recently, and uh, by the FARC and the government. Uh, but still, there is a huge opposition by the people. And today, as we are speaking, it is being debated in Congress because there's not going to there's not going to be a second referendum. It's going to be an approval by Congress in Congress, where I hope and I think uh, the majority being uh, uh, partisan to the president. Uh, the agreement, the new agreement, should be approved in Congress and then uh, legislated or regulated in it. So we are entering this different phase in which I have, as I said, not participated. I just wanted to give a little bit of a background. So my job is more in the post-conflict, which basically starts somehow today or tomorrow, the official post-conflict, once the agreement is signed. And what I'm doing exactly but Before you is... say that, Elvira, can I just summarize and, and just for the listeners? So since I talked to you, uh, there was a peace accord that was reached 
in Colombia yes. between the FARC and the government. And yes. then, uh, and Santos won the Nobel Prize. I'm not sure which is the order of things, but I think it went like that. And then the peace agreement fell apart <laughs> right after he won the Nobel Prize. Is, is, am I saying the right order of it's, things? It's, it's, it, it, it fell apart four days before he oh, right. won. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Four days before, so it was before uh, the, the the referendum fell apart uh, on a Sunday, and the president was given the the Nobel Peace Prize on the Friday. I mean, four days, five days later, so that was like a revamp of, of the president himself as, as an image, and, and the this was a very, uh, I would say, a very important uh, uh, backup from the international community uh, because uh, the no's have said that it was an unfair agreement and that this was uh, given the country to the FARC and uh, opening up a new Venezuela regime in Colombia. And this there are lots of very heavy emotions that divided and polarized uh, Colombia. And that's a topic that I would like to talk to you when yeah, I, and because I'm immediately wondering, having just post the U.S. election where Donald Trump just got elected, I, I'm, uh, you know, just thinking about are there are there themes here that are similar? Um, and I'm, I'm well, of course, there are always themes that are similar with almost anything in the world. But I'm guessing that there may be things that are specific. Um, there are lots of similarities in the behavior of the referendum in Colombia with uh, the elections in the U.S. and with the um, uh, Brexit, and in the sense that the social media played a dramatic, dramatic uh, um, role in Colombia, and the social media was dominated. And I say this because one of my projects for the president is actually measuring what goes on on the social media, and uh, it was dominated by a very uh, aggressive discourse from the nose, uh, lots of post-truth now that the post-truth concept is so, um, I mean, um, um, fashionable and full of false uh, statements that became truth because they were repeated so much in the news, like it happened to a certain extent in the US and somehow in Brexit. So I think this mm -hmm. context is very similar and the behavior of the people is very similar. I could also say that most of the people that we actually looked in detail were using Facebook as their main kind of source of knowledge. And there the no and the false or the half-truths predominated and created a very, very strong narrative that was easy to claim and that brought a lot of divide uh, among the Colombians that were uninformed truly about a long text of the peace accord. It was really hard to read, uh, difficult to understand even for lawyers because it had many complex concepts that are basically uh, transitional justice and things that are hard to understand for non-experts. So uh, I, I think you're going to dig down into a little bit more of that. But bef before you do, um, can you just say a little bit more about this? Uh, you're on a, a team of advisors that advise Santos right. about the and that's why you're on leave. And could you describe describe that a little Perfect. bit about what it's what's unique about it in terms of peace processes? Okay. It is it is uh, uh, President Santos has had a team. I mean, an, an amazing team of people throughout the, uh, the, the, the peace process. I mean, led by Sergio Jaramillo and by all the people that have negotiated Cuba. He has an office. Uh, la Oficina del Alto Comisionado para la Paz, where 60% of the people are women. So, hey, I'm very proud about well, that. I think yeah, women yeah, are too. great peace builders. Mm -hmm. I think you agree. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he has a very technical staff doing the, 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 the peace processes, and they have done a lot of 
uh, study and innovation in that. What I am, as I said, I came after all that. I have nothing to do with the peace process itself. Uh, he has a team of advisors. I'm not sure how many. Uh, I think there are like 20 advisors that are uh, somehow either traveling or, or experts in certain parts of, uh, of peace that he needs. And my position as a, I guess, as a professor was to educate and find out ways to educate for the post-conflict. Um, the, the mission was very, very big in the sense that it could be anything and everything, and that it, it was very open. Um, I speak to him directly, uh, but obviously it's hard to speak to him regularly, so I send him little bullets of things. And what I'm doing, which I think is very interesting, is first of all, we have been uh, doing great um, research and monitoring of what's going on in the social networks. And from then, we're learning uh, things that the public perception not necessarily shows in the regular media and things that people, uh, the way that people uh, convince themselves of certain things. And by studying that, we have created using a framework that is very simple and it sounds very complex, but of deliberative democracy, which is how do citizens uh, can freely express their views uh, with arguments as opposed to you know, uh, emotions and uh, convince others uh, of, 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 of or that the most convincing argument prevails. And for this, we started to do uh, some exercises uh, in public forums in which we use this methodology that has been uh, developed uh, by many people. Deliberation is, is something that is being used in different ways, in mainly in, in, in developed societies. And it's basically given the citizens power to talk about issues that are hard and issues that divide them. And in the, this particular let, me, let me slow you down for a second. When you say deliberation, and uh, traditionally that's been, well, how has it traditionally been used? When you use that term, what exactly are you talking about? Well, in, in the, and for example, in Canada, they use consultations. Um, in um, in uh, Swiss, uh, in the Swiss cantons, they use uh, public forums where people go and talk about political issues that affect them. Uh, for example, in the, in the United States, they have used a lot for after 9-11. Uh, they created this online forum where they asked people around Ground Zero uh, to help talk about how to reconstruct Ground Zero. Uh, in Northern Ireland, uh, it has been used to put together communities of former nationalists and unionists that, that had that, that, that hated each other throughout the troubles. Edward, are you talking about, you know, I know after post 9-11, there was something specific called America Speaks, which was a, was a whole dialogue process that was used to get people's input into how to reconstruct that area. You're talking about that kind of that, that kind. Ki but I mean, those are different different ways of doing it. I I mean, we actually modeled this on an experiment that was uh, created in France in 2009 for an issue that is not related to conflict uh, to convince French people in the south of France to vaccinate themselves against the uh, the, the a flu uh, that was becoming pandemic and French were unwilling to to vaccinate themselves and the cost for health will be humongous. So they use this methodology, which, as I said, builds from deliberative democracy and by uh, getting people to talk about it together and then bring some experts and some um, epistemic criteria like arguments, like scientific evidence, made people uh, reflect on that and again talk and deliberate. And, and this, this creation uh, of, uh, of these forums led to a fantastic result in which many people that initially were 
uh, unwilling to vaccinate themselves, uh, change their views by understanding the, the, the importance of doing it, not just for the common good, but from themselves, mm-hmm. um, and, and turn into a very positive campaign. So they created a methodology that is in a paper for anybody that is interested. Uh, I, could, I could send you forward you the paper in mm-hmm. which we based our main methodology that we started using in public forums here in Colombia and in Miami, where I live part of the time with Colombians in relation to the peace process. It has not been used directly for peace building, but I see it as an alternative mode of uh, conflict resolution, really. I mean, you know, conflict resolution is such a broad uh, field uh, and I'm not inventing any wheel. I'm using um, empirical and theory that has uh, that has shown results. What we are is modeling something from uh, what has worked in many other countries for other things like you know, in the case of Northern Ireland, it was to build schools that that comply with standards that that would actually be accepted by both communities after the troubles um, in the United States. As I said, it was this open view. But we've taken elements of all that, thinking about peace and thinking, how can we make people feel that peace is theirs? But also, how can we make people debate about it so that they feel engaged? As so it's not a partisan, it's not really a partisan initiative. No. It's one, no. it's, a, it's an understanding initiative. And I want to say something here, which is very important. That's a very important question, Susan, uh, is not partisan. And that's something that the president has been incredibly, uh, I would say, generous. Uh, he doesn't want to be, uh, he doesn't want the, the government to be involved with it because it will be detrimental. So he has not influenced the way we do it uh, because he wants it to be a social initiative. Or So we have actually funded ourselves by, by, by uh, foundations, not by government money, even though I'm working for him. And we're doing this as an, alterna- as an alternative um, uh, solution that is not from the government point of view because the government raises lots of passions and the country is particularly divided in the peace process because the president is a very unpopular president and that is a very ununderstandable issue for people that are rational in the sense that he's the president that brought peace after 50 years of war. He's the president that has done a lot of uh, social economic reforms that are showing results and uh, many results are going to be seen, but you know, uh, 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 poverty has been decreasing dramatically. Education has been increasing both in cover uh, coverage and in quality, as we would see in a few days. Uh, and there are lots of indications that this is a president that has done a lot and that is terribly misunderstood uh, because there is a huge social divide around this issue of peace. Let me ask you uh, just again for the listeners, and this is this is a, a big question, but I want you to answer simply, uh, you know, what it means to bring peace to Colombia after 50 years. And, and I guess... If you could, could you just give a snapshot of what it was like to be at war and a snapshot of what it could mean to be at, to have created that peace? Okay, I, it's a difficult question. I, I know. I to try to be very, very quick, Susan. It's a very good question and a very difficult one. I mean, for many people in the cities, they don't notice the difference. And this is part of the problem why many people in the cities didn't care much about the peace process or don't see this as a main agenda. Why? Because in cities like Bogota, even Cali and Medellin and the main capitals and Colombia is a country of cities, as you know very well. So people in the cities do not leave the daily conflict. They don't even know what it means. The conflict has been, as it often is in underdeveloped developing nations, 
in the rural parts of the country. And the people that have suffered the conflict are people that are far away. We've only seen the conflict through the huge wave of displacement that's starting coming into the cities. Mm-hmm. And we have about 6.5 million uh, displaced, uh, forcibly displaced Colombians that have come to the cities. It's so remindful. I was just in Afghanistan. I think you know that. And a uh, very similar phenomenon. I mean, even though there is there is violence going on in Kabul and places like that, but a of lot course. of it's happening really in the rural areas and people just uh, having to get forced out and come to come to urban areas. So I anyway, it's just interesting as you're talking. It sounds so familiar. It is. It is fascinating. Now, the difference again from here in Afghanistan, for instance, is that here in Colombia, the the issue of displacement, has, displacement because the war has been such a prolonged war, mm. has been little by little. So we have not seen the huge wave of people that arrive. We have, it has almost kind of become normalized because these displaced people have arrived to the cities and to a certain extent have been accommodated in the cities because there have been ongoing laws since 97 that have been trying to accommodate the, the, the displaced people. Some have actually made it and can be educated and have arrived to the cities and succeeded to a certain extent. Others have been, you know, in a horrible situation in the slums of the cities and have not totally accommodated. But Colombia has done a lot in terms of its displacement. So as I said, the war has been such a a small kind of feeling for the cities and for the inhabitants of the cities that many people do not realize the pressure or the importance of finishing a peace process. In fact, I was here when we signed the first, uh, uh, the peace process of Havana, the original one that was uh, voted no, and there was no celebration in the streets of Bogota. People didn't so understand the relevance People to them. People mm-hmm. didn't understand the magnitude mm-hmm. of the historical event. I mm-hmm. was on my own. I was all dressed in white. I was so sad to see that mm-hmm. people were, you know, life as usual in the cities mm-hmm. of Bogota. Now, what does it mean to end the war? And this is a very important question. Well, the war is the end of a lot of violence. And if we look at the statistics, there are zero kidnappings in Colombia in the past year. Since the ceasefire, of course, there's been very little attacks and there's been like two or three incidents of, 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 uh, between the guerrillas, the former guerrillas and, uh, and, the, and the military. Um, there have been no massacres, no takeovers of towns. Uh, the violence has been tremendously reduced. Of course, uh, Colombia has because of, I mean, this is a huge topic that I don't even want to enter with, but uh, violence would not, I mean, you know, violence would carry on because there is a contagion between the political violence and the criminal violence. And we still have drug trafficking. And we still have remnants of the drug trafficking, um, uh, uh, paramilitary structures. And, you know, uh, this this has not ended in Colombia. So it's very hard to see. Oh, and people say, oh, well, there's no peace. There's still drug trafficking and there's still criminal elements. Of course they are. But this demobilizing almost 10,000 um, former combatants of the FARC and reintegrating these people, which we have been very successful because Colombia has been ongoing into dismantling this war by steps. If you recall, uh, we've had um, the M19 that uh, was a former guerrilla in the 90s that demobilized, very successful and entered into the political scene. In fact, we are, the mayor of Bogota 
uh, up to a year ago was a former guerrilla of the ni- 19 and uh, one of it, the main senators, one of the most successful and respected senators of Congress today, Navarro Wolf, was a former guerrilla. So we've had lots of reintegration of former guerrilla factions since the 60s, uh, since the 80s, since the 90s, I'm sorry, that have integrated successfully to society. Then in 2003, between 2003 and 2006, the paramilitary right wind uh, demobilized partially. Many went to drug trafficking, many demobilized successfully, and that led to a huge wave of reduction of violence. Mm-hmm. And then now we are into the kind of third or, I mean, you know, I hope uh, before the last guerrillas, we still have the ELN, but the FARC has stopped warring and there are no more deaths, kidnaps, mass- massacres, mines, and many other atrocities that, that, that this country has been going through and that 8,200,000 million Colombians have registered as victims of this conflict. So thank you for that answer. So, so to get back, you back to this initiative um, and um, of, of, and I don't know how to describe it simply, it sounds like an initiative to use a deliberative process to deal with high, high societal divisions that is nonpartisan. Um, so yeah, tell, tell us more about this. Okay. Okay, so this, this, as I said, was modeled on this uh, particularly the, the liberty of democracy concept and, um, and, and empirical cases. And what we want to do is get people online because the, the public presentation of this is hard to deal. It's costly and is, as you may know from when you, when you do workshops, is exhausting mentally because it generates with people and with, with a society that is polarized in terms of peace, it generates a lot of anxieties and emotions that are hard to manage. And when there are catharsis among the public, uh, they usually destroy the facilitator, which has been me in many cases. So we thought it's safest, it's more efficient, and we can reach more people across Colombia if we do it online. Uh, you're just Colum- trying to get out of the middle, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be hurt anymore. <laughs> this is too uh-huh. Uh-huh. So what we have is a country that has 50% access to the internet. Colombia is one of the, after Brazil, is in Latin America, the country that has more access to the internet. And out of this access, 90% of Colombians go online uh, via Facebook. Uh, at least once a month. Those are the statistics that we have. So we know uh, that is a country that has been reached uh, by by technology, even though sometimes we cannot reach regions and parts of Colombia by road, as you know, because this is a beautiful, hard geography uh, country. And sometimes the, the, the state didn't do efforts to build this infrastructure. So we thought we can reach them through the internet, through technology. And we are today leading and really exciting an experiment in Chocó. Chocó, as you know, is one of the poorest uh, areas of Colombia, one that has been hardly hit by uh, by all the wars, by the drug trafficking, by the guerrillas, and by the paramilitary, which has been the main actors that have made this war so complex. And these are uh, projects uh, which we can involve people from all over the world, from all over the country, and from Colombians that are outside the world to debate and to talk about issues that are hard and that create a lot of anxiety among Colombians in relation to peace. So, for example, one of the, the questions that we are handling now is what happens if we don't actually uh, accept this second agreement that the government and the FARC have reached uh, with the fragile ceasefire that we have now? Uh, what, what would happen if this breaks and if we cannot make this accord uh, come true and, and, and you know, become a reality and in, implement it? So we are asking the people that question. 
And what it, ha- it does is it's, a, it's an app. I'm going to send you the link so that you can post it. Uh, it's, it's still on, 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 on the pilot form. But do you, do you have to be a Colombian to use it? No, I can invite you. You okay. are a Colombian by adoption. Okay, okay, good. Today. All you have to do is know Spanish. Uh, it's, a, it's, a ver- it's a web app, basically. It's mm-hmm. not an application. It's a web app. It's a link that we're going to post on the social networks, that we're going to post online, that we're going to try to, we're going to create a, a web page so that any Colombian or any person that is interested in Colombia can participate anonymously, of course. I mean, you have a nickname. Uh, you create, you have to register through a email that you can create for this purposes or you can use your own that but that is not visible for the players and you will be grouped automatically by uh, the system that tries to match people that think differently so we ask a general question Mm. at the beginning in which we ask you uh, to tell the truth be totally honest on how you feel about something and we're asking now about the, the new peace accord so you say you rejected uh, you are indifferent, uh, you uh, support it partially, or you have a full support for it. And with that division, we have a system that piles you into groups of five in which you are entered into a chat, basically. And who's this we? Is- that's you and your team that's that's yes, monitoring have, all this? And I have a team of uh, people. So I have, uh, there are uh, six people. Uh, many of these are engineers. I have a social scientist uh, and two systems engineers that have designed uh, the system. I mean, you know, they have made this a reality. And the two other engineers that are, I mean, my, 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 my partners um, that work with me in creating all the, 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 the web app, which is complicated because we needed to conform with uh, how to respect the methodology of democracy, the deliberation, I'm sorry, of argumentation and create some rules that were easy to follow and dynamic enough so that people will engage. And of course, we're testing all this. So I'm being uh, optimistic at the moment, but we still have not seen the full results of this because it's still being monitored uh, and we're still testing with people that we know and with people that, that, that are playing online to see what, what, what comes out of it. So people are basically put like into pods that, uh, that, that exactly. have different points of view in each of exactly. those, subgrouped by bringing difference together. And yes, we bring different together, and then there's a second, there's a first question that we play for every every engagement. You can come as much as you want, and you will be sent to a different question. So we're we're playing now with five questions. So we're playing, for example, with the one that is very complex, which is the type of justice that we want for the for the for the guerrillas. Most Colombians that oppose the peace process wanted the guerrillas that had committed crimes against humanity to go to jail. And uh, what we're trying to show is that that is not the solution. And uh, so what we do is that we ask that question, we let them discuss, and there are some rules for discussion. You have to wait two turns to go back and discuss so that people really engage, which is the idea, that they reciprocate and listen to each other. And then we put um, some sort of content that they have to watch, usually in a form of a video, a five minutes video, showing them uh, some stats on justice. For example, in the justice ones, I re-emphasize to Colombians that we don't trust our system of justice. So why are we sending the, the guerrillas into a system of justice that we Colombians don't trust? And second, that the system of justice that was that was proposed by the people that opposed this agreement is similar to the one that was used for the paramilitaries that was not incredibly efficient in in either condemning them or in coming uh, or forcing them to come with a truth. Which so ultimately- let me let me stop you again. So it does sound like you do have an end in mind or or it's not partisan. Well, I don't know. It's not partisan, but you do have an objective. 
That is or, very true. And this is, a, this is, this is, this is not, uh, this is something that deliberation agrees with. The, the theory says you can have not necessarily a partisan, but a purpose in mind. Mm -hmm. And for me, the purpose is a common good. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds, I know it sounds broad and, and, you know, kind of, oh, yes, everybody would say yes. But the common good is what is the best for Colombia to move forward from this conflict that has divided society for so many years. And I am convinced that the only way to move forward in terms of justice, for example, which is the topic that I was talking to you, we don't need to send the guerrillas to jail necessarily. That would not solve the issues because we know all the issues that that brings. What the victims want is the truth. They want to know where is the where is my son that was recruited and forcibly disappeared? The 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 the, the last report on disappearances shows that Colombia had sixty thousand disappeared people in, mm. since 1970 up to today. Mm. This is so hurtful. Mm. There's that's twice what Argentina had mm. after the dirty war. That's mm. twice what the world kind of war against, and we have sixty thousand disappeared people. Yeah. We have nearly five thousand kidnaps. Many of them were resolved and people were happily returned, but many didn't. And, uh, and we have 6.5 million displaced people. All these people want to know the truth. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the system that was created in the accord, which is incredibly innovative and that has been in agreement with international standards of justice. We didn't invent the wheel. We actually respected uh, the International Criminal Court Statute of Rome. Uh, we, 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 we respected the standards of transitional justice that have been used in countries that ended up with uh, things like the apartheid in South Africa. And we went beyond that because we established some form of restoration to the, to the victims. But this is a very complex thing for a normal person to understand. Why would they understand that when you commit a crime, you don't go to jail, which is what happens uh, in, in, a, in a Western type of uh, system of justice. So, so teaching this is impossible. And I've tried to write, like most people that work in peace, I've tried to explain this in forums, but people, I mean, simply cannot agree. So the best way to do this is to give them elements for them to discuss and to, this, this system leads people to discuss and the idea is that not necessarily they reach a consensus, but at least they hear others talk. And usually the best argument prevails in the discussion. Could, like you, a um, could you give a sense of a little bit more about how it actually works? So like, like why, why would somebody actually want to engage with this app? You know, why would they come? Why would they spend their time? What yes. would attract them? How many people are in a what I'm calling a pod? I mean, I don't know if that's the right language for it. Yes, yes, uh, it is. Okay. Um, and yeah, just describe the process a little bit more. Like, like dig down a little bit more if you could. That is that is a very that's the most complicated thing that we are facing now. The motivation to go into it. Uh, we want to make it very. Uh, I mean, we're going to use media. We're going to use Facebook to 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 to, to launch it. Uh, why is it attractive? Uh, we are trying to engage people in some incentives. The first one is be be a part of this. Don't be don't be apathetic with poly I mean, get involved in this. This matters to you. And by doing this, what we're doing is trying to get topics that people fishing topics from the web and from the social media and from that and from polls that that show us what people are worried about. Now people are more worried about the, the tax reform. Uh, that is ongoing. So we're trying to find what is the link between the tax reform and the peace process. Well, the link is, I mean, lots of links, but one of them is that people think that the state is doing this very strong tax reform because they need to pay for the peace process cost. So we, for example, can help not demystify, but 
engage people and people are interested in tax reform because it's going to hit hard the pocket of Colombians and always people in the cities particularly where this is going to be mostly used are worried about that. Um, there's some religious issues that have been emerging and we've seen that there's a lot of uh, new um, evangelical churches and Christian churches that have been very influential in this process so we're going to try to hit a, a question or, or a topic of interest for this particular sectors of society that are engaged and that associated the peace process with Colombia changing the, the traditional structure of the family. So that has a lot to do with the peace process because there was a lot of talking about gender, about women, and about giving rights to the minorities. And people understood that as, oh, no, we are changing this traditional form of family and we're, I mean, you know, becoming too, too liberal. So we're going to try to target topics, to, to target um, parts of society. Uh, by using universities to promote it, and also creating incentives to participate. Like you can print your discussion, so print your discussion. Uh, you can win points. I mean, some people said to us, and we're discussing about this, that we should give raffles something. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. There was a professor in Harvard that was trying to do some studies on health and launch a web app like this, asking people to enter their, their I mean, you know, uh, input on what they ate, how they exercise, how much they walk in order to know how their health could influence this. And people would not play. And when he put an incentive, which I think was a raffle of tickets to go to Hawaii, uh, the, you know, the people came overwhelmingly to it. I don't know. What, what do you can... call the, what do you call this app, by the way? Have you, have you named it? It's called Atrevete, but in English it sounds terrible, particularly in the States, because it's there too. There, dare to, to. Atrévete. Uh -huh. Atrévete. It, uh -huh. it sounds good in Spanish. Okay. As I said, as, as we finish the, uh, the, 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 the podcast, I will send you the link as it is now. You only need five people to come at the same time because we, the, the, it's not fully working. But when it's fully working, anybody can come in from any part of the world. Uh, it's, it's actually a chat, a chat where we bombard you with two little helps. Uh, usually evidence-based, mainly. Uh, for example, if we're talking about la land distribution, we put a map of Colombia with the Gini coefficient, we show where the productive lands are, how the property is uh, distributed, how there's a lot of vast amounts of land that are unused and that are earned by a few families. And that creates controversy mm -hmm. when you see that. Mm -hmm. And it's simple. I mean, you know, it has some bullets that explain it. It just shows you the colors in some of them. Injustice is more complex. And the few 50 cases that we have analyzed have been incredible. And we have put different people to play. I mean, we put the director of a bank and a lady that cleans the house to play together. And there was some interaction. So tell me, so, tell us more about So what do you, can you say anything more about like what happened yeah, for them or yeah, what do you think their experience was? was? It's, it's very interesting. I mean, they had a very different language, uh, but in a way, the effort from the people that have a more kind of complex education to make themselves understood once you start engaging in this chat. Imagine you are chatting on WhatsApp. It's ex we kind of copied that. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you start seeing people that appear that are anonymous. So people put funny nicknames. So this people was called, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure because I've seen so many, but Rusty. So Rusty was talking against, but Rusty was the head of the of a bank of a very sophisticated bank where, where Cece was a woman, one of my women that was sitting, uh, I mean, she's, she's not a cleaning lady, but she's a person that, that has very basic education and she's kind of a, a, a household head and uh, she works really hard, but she's kind of interested in the peace process. So she was talking to this person, where else would you put those two people to talk together yeah, online? Yeah. 
and and then there were two other people that I have put there that were very kind of um, I mean you know uh, divided one that was really much against the peace process and against everything that is going on so it was interesting how they engaged they didn't reach a consensus but I would say that the tide turned into a more favorable view of the arguments of the other. And do they I'm have trying... to commit, Elvira, to participate for a given period of time? Or do they just do they have to At come the... in together and then leave together? Or how do you work that? At the moment, yes. But it would not be like that in, uh -huh. the, in the formal web app. It, at the moment, yes, because the pilots, we cannot uh, put, and this is something of systems that I have no idea, but it's the algorithm needs to be functioning fully with a flow of people. When you have a few people coming in, you cannot make it. So people will be there forever. So you have to come in and, and play, as I said, the whole, the whole time. People have, the average of these 50 experiments has been like an hour. That's what people stay on it, which I think is amazing. Wow. So in an hour, you get a pod together for an hour long conversation. Exactly. And then exactly. they get, and then, then what, at the end of the hour, what, how do they, how does it, what, what's revealed to them or how does it okay. conclude? Okay. So that's what we are working now mm -hmm. as it is now. We only ask them, we say, this is a pilot, please uh, make any suggestion. And there's a box where you can write any suggestions. And we're reading all the suggestions. My brother has been terribly critical about it to begin with. And he gave me very, very good um, advice. So we're trying to change all this. We're working on it. Uh, we're going to be piloting for another month and a half or two, because this is hard. This is really a hard experiment. Uh, yeah. The system is working. Uh, the idea at the end is that people would know two things. That's what we're thinking now. One, you can print the whole discussion. So we think, uh -huh. well, print it and that's nice. The second thing, we're, we're creating games. For example, saying um, nickname X or Z, you are the best leader of your team because you actually change the argument. So we can change, I mean, you change the, 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 the frame of mind that people that came, uh, that were predominant, I mean, the discourse, you were the changer, you were the game changer, for example. So we can, and we send like a clap. Uh, the other thing is contact. For example, people that, that meet online may be interested in meeting one of the nicknames that they play. And, you know, there's a level of sophistication. There's a, there's a chat that we have that is, I know the people, very sophisticated. And I know it could turn play. into the new dating site, right? <laughs> I was about that. You're very, very clever. You remember that program in, in England that was called Blind Date? No, but... Uh... Oh, Blind Date was that. At the time, the, the, the online dating didn't exist. This was like in, at the beginning of the 90s. Yeah. And it came on the television. And the, you know there was there was a like a wall between them and the 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 the, the, the TV watchers were looking at both and they were talking and choosing who was going to give with what. So yes, this is it. So we could facilitate context between those two. So that's another incentive that we're thinking, and we're still thinking about the raffle. Uh, we're still thinking of finding, for example, if Macintosh would kind of, you know, give us a couple of iPhones or Macs to raffle. I don't know if that's good. I mean, people say you shouldn't mix peace with prices. Uh, that's not ethical. Um, I don't know. I mean, we, those are You could just keep experimenting and see what works. Experiment. You know? And I would love you and invite you to participate. It will be amazing to have you there because I need people that know about this to say this is working or not. What we have seen from the first chats is that it's amazing the level of engagement of the people that we have put on. And as I said, I have purposely created uh, groups of people that are very diverse because I had to select them by, by And diver framework. diverse in age as well? Like, do you have a, a wide range of, of you know, young age people, issue. older people? Age is an issue because older people that do not know how to use right. 
an iPhone. You can do it in your phone, in your smartphone or in your computer. Uh, so people that are not very familiar with, you know, writing fast, I mean, will be left outside in this particular moment because if you don't interact, uh, the, the, the chat follows and then it ends. I mean, we have a level of interactions that we agree. And if we see that it's not moving, we move to the second stage. And there are three stages. One stage is freely talking about the question. The second stage is we force you to see a video that would actually shake a little bit of your beliefs, of the beliefs of some people. And then you, we allow you to debate for another uh, round. And then the third round and final is the same question, but with a very different set of of content, we usually pull up a map or some stats, very, very simplified and, and kind of with a couple of bullets, trying to, I mean, be as, I mean, partial as you can, partial understanding that I'm a great believer in the peace process and that I think the accord and the text itself, it's a model of peace building as a text. I don't know about the implementation and mm -hmm. that's something that we can do in a future podcast <laughs> mm -hmm. if it works. But this is to engage people and to depolarize, hopefully, people, hopefully. Yeah, it's just, uh, I'm wondering, um, and we, we are hitting our time uh, boundary here and probably need to, I know, I told you it goes by very fast. Uh, are you seeing other countries or other, other, are you seeing apps like this being created in other places to create this kind of deliberation and dialogue? Not online, and I have been working with a, Duke Steiner, and I want to give credit to him. He's a professor, emeritus professor, a professor at Chapel Hill, and also at a university in Switzerland, Bernd University. And uh, Steiner uh, has written a book called The Liberative Democracy, and also one that is called uh, Transformative. It's coming out now, uh, The Liberative Transformative Moments. It's coming in March. Uh, next year uh, talking about this and uh, I showed him I called him I contact him and I show him the the web app and he actually liked it and he's fully supportive of a project he has worked in Colombia like you he fell in love with Colombia at a certain point of his life and he worked with ex-combatants uh, but these deliberations were done uh, face to face between ex-combatants of the guerrillas and ex-combatants of the paramilitaries that have demobilized uh, uh, 10 years ago. And uh, he used the liberation and his techniques and his, and his uh, I, I, I borrowed a lot from his theory and I'm very grateful to him. Um, and he's been on top of it. Uh, a couple of days ago, he sent me a mail and he said, persevere, persevere. This is the moment to persevere. But we don't know. Online deliberation is kind of new. You know, topic. you know, the public, I don't know if you know the public conversations project and that model of dialogue. It, it, it originated around the abortion issue in the United States, but absolutely. A similar, a similar, not not online though, but but a similar oh, kind of idea about bringing people together simply for engagement and conversation. Um, and there's there's a lot of that. No, there is a new program in the U.S. That, that 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 is trying to join people. I don't know if you've seen it. People that voted for Trump or against Trump, and joining them together to have a conversation. No. What is I that? Would send you, yeah. I would send you the link as well. I, I just looked at it very quickly, but mm -hmm. I can send you the link as well because it's very interesting. It's just talk to somebody that voted differently than you try yeah. to engage with that person but it's a bilateral conversation right and it actually takes a huge effort i mean ours is going to take a huge effort and i'm not i'm not sure if it's going to be successful but as i was saying yesterday to the president i said even if it's not successful president if we actually manage to engage 2000 colombians in it which i think we can because we we all have access to servers to list servers of emails and and i know that we can engage them um, it, even if that 
It's a small subset of the population, but we are going to learn how, and this is the end, I promise I'm not going to extend more, how people change their perception. What is it that leads a person to change his perception? For example, of a person that we know, Rusty, that started saying, no, 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 I hate the girl, let's not go into the prison. But we are going to see how much the person changes and why he changes. Is it the arguments of the others? Is it one of the criteria, the content that we put? Is it looking at the statistics of how disastrous it is to go to prison? As we know, it's an issue that is universal too. Is it because, I don't know, or is it that we are actually polarizing and creating more polarization? All the experiments that have been made, both online and, 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 and in, in forums, public forums, have shown that there's always a slight twist to people changing for the good, for the common good. And there's that, to me, is enough evidence to persevere. But uh, it's a dream. <laughs> so, <laughs> Elvira, it's, it's dream. really, you've had me, this is such a super, super exciting experiment that you're engaged in. And I can't wait to uh, follow up with you. I don't know, six months from now, a year from now, how long an interval do you think it's going to be before you have some sense of whether, what, what you're learning from all of this? I would say in a year time, I would have known if this worked. Uh, because we have the beauty of this, and I mean, I don't know if I should say this online, is that we can monitor uh, daily what people are arguing without mm -hmm. seeing their names. We just right. have their nicknames. And we can read through the arguments. Of course, this is going to be huge data. So we need, I mean, I have already thought about hiring two people that would just be devoted to reading yeah. all this. And particularly looking at the outliers, cases of group that do not transform or that transform dramatically, or looking at the normal trends. If we start to see that five enter the game, three that are against and two against, and usually the outcome is four, one. So we see, well, we're transforming one mind, even, or we're moderating somebody that was a no that turned out to be skeptical or at least someone mm. in the middle. So we could see all these transformations and study deeply in depth the cases that have uh, different results, because at the end of the app, and I didn't say that, we asked the same classification question that we asked at the beginning, and that's the measure for our success. That's how we measure our success. We ask a general question, where are you standing for the peace process now? Then we do all the deliberation, and then at the end we ask you, where are you now? And that's what we measure. And that's what allows us to classify cases and to understand how much influence we had or how little we had. And obviously we can modify, we can change topics, we can change content, and we can ask people, and that's the last incentive, bring a topic that is of your interest that you want to work online. So I suppose if it, listeners are hearing this and they want to reach out to you, I, I, I'm assuming that's okay. And you can give me an email address and we'll post that um, with, with your information. <laughs> um, and I would love to, Susan. I love to. I hope, I hope that some people are interested in this. And, uh, and I'm really open for comments and, and also for any changes. This is the moment to, to, to get all the help and all the criticism, constructive criticisms to make this work. And if it works, I'm willing to use it for Afghanistan and for any country that has. Right. It's so uh, scalable. It's a, it's a very scalable I idea. Yeah. I hope it is. Yeah. I hope. And even for the U.S., we never know. We need it in the United <laughs> States right now. It's we absolutely do. Bring something new into the United States where yeah. there's so many great ideas and minds thinking about it. But it will be, I mean, a testing trial. And if it works, I mean, I'll be willing to, to, to use it wherever it is that we need to do, to do so.
And well, if it's thank- not successful, we will learn. We'll learn that. <laughs> so thank you, Elvira, so much for your time. And uh, I, I, um, yeah, I hope also that we can follow up with a later conversation. Uh, you have some really interesting stories about some um, uh, around women in Colombia that I'd love oh, to follow up with. that's a topic that I love, Susan. And I, w- I promise that we would talk about that if you ever want to have me again. And I'm so happy to talk to you again. It's been a pleasure to be in the Peace Building Podcast. Thank you very much, Elvira. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Peace Building Podcast. Check out thepeacebuildingpodcast.com for show notes and for more great information and resources. Please email your comments, suggestions, and ideas to susan at thepeacebuildingpodcast.com. And join me next time for more great thinking, innovations, and ideas to take our planet to the next level.